Welcome to Easter Sunday at Wheaton Bible Church. He is risen. Hallelujah. Please stand for a reading from God's word, a first-hand account of Jesus' resurrection from John 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the first disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed.
the glory. Amen. Thank you. Before I pray, as we continue to celebrate Christ who has been raised from the dead, I mean bodily raised from the dead, I want to thank you, church, for your generous support financially of the ministries of Wheaton Bible Church here in our communities and around the world. God is doing some amazing things through your giving, through the ministries, our, all the way to our missionaries, starting here with our nursery and our children's ministry. And as we begin to open up more and more, we can't wait to see what the resurrected Christ is going to do by the power of the Spirit. Amen? So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonder of this day this weekend, this holy week. We marvel to think that Jesus became a man, that he went to the cross and died in our place for our sins. And we praise you and we worship you and we honor you. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords and you are so full of mercy, tenderness, compassion, gentleness, and patience that you have given us Jesus who died willingly that we might have life, who became empty that we might become full, who became poor that we might become rich. How, how do we get our minds around that kind of love? How do we get our minds around God crucified? And then the wonder and the mystery of the resurrection so our hearts overflow as your people with the wonder of what you have done, what you have given us in Jesus. And we praise you in his name. Amen.
not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. He is risen. Mais pas ici, car il est ressuscité comme il avait dit. Venez voir l'endroit où le Seigneur a été couché. Il, il est, est ressuscité. Hij is niet weer. Hij is immers opgestaan, zoals hij gezegd heeft. Kijk maar, dit is de plaats waar hij gelegen heeft. Hij is opgestaan. No está aquí, pues ha resucitado como dijo. Venid, ve al lugar donde fue puesto el Señor. Ha resucitado.
please be seated. Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? We do. It's all creation groaning. It's a new creation coming. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? Is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is daily true in the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, he is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with the Son. Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is He
I love that song. And as we think about the resurrection of Jesus, I want you to think about two things kind of underneath as we work through this this morning. And the first is we are not worthy of any of this as we've just sung, right? But he is infinitely worthy. So as we think about the resurrection, as we ask ourselves, how do we process this? Well, we process this by understanding, and this is when it becomes reality and grips us in our heart, that I'm just not worthy. I could never be worthy. Crucifixion, resurrection, no way. But he alone is. And he is my savior. And on Easter, he was raised from the dead. So I want to welcome all of you uh, this morning, those of you that are watching online, uh, those of you that are here with us as we celebrate the wonder of what God has done for us in Jesus. And today what I want to do as we talk about the resurrection is I want to talk about hope, Easter hope. Uh, I don't want to just talk about it, I want to offer it to you. What God offers you in the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You see, according to Christianity, hope is not found in politics. Lower taxes, higher taxes. Or possessions. Or performance. Or or popularity. According to Christianity, hope is not a principle. It's a person Jesus Christ. Because just as Jesus was physically raised from the dead, the good news of the gospel is that the moment we believe in Jesus, we are spiritually raised from the dead and we are reborn. Because the resurrection brings the past power of God who created the heavens and the earth and the future power of God that will restore and redeem the heavens of the earth into our lives right now. So the resurrection for the believer in Jesus Christ means that Jesus is inside me, Jesus is beside me, Jesus is for me. So that no matter the hell going on around us, we have heaven inside us and I want that for you today I want you to know that at the core of your being so this morning I want to answer four questions rather briefly about the resurrection relative to hope so the first question is what is hope according to the Bible Uh, the second question is what has happened to hope today in our culture And the third is, more specifically, what is resurrection hope? And then the final question is, what is the significance of all of this? So to do that, let's begin with what the Bible has to say about hope. What is hope? Hope is a confident expectation in God. It's not, I hope so, it's I know so. It's the difference between saying, I hope it stays warm, and I know the sun is warm. It's a confident expectation. 
This is what we see in the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, notice the words confidence and assurance. And we travel a little further, and in verse 6, we read, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those, and notice, who earnestly, not casually, but earnestly seek him. So what is faith? Faith in light of verse 6 is a craving after God. It's a seeking God. It's a striving to lay a hold of God. As Jesus commands us in the first and greatest commandment, we are to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. And hope is the certainty that my God loves me and my God will, in fact, reward me. Now, one of the ways, and I'm going to digress for just a moment, one of the ways we cultivate hope in our lives is by what is called biblical self-talk. And by that, what I mean is instead of you being dominated or always listening to your feelings, you talk back to your feelings lest they run your life and you talk back to them by using the Word of God by using these wonderful concepts around the gospel, the crucifixion and resurrection. But let me look at this in an Old Testament passage. Now notice this. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Now notice here's a person talking to his emotions. Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your, here's the word, put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So instead of you being um, driven by your feelings, you say, wait a minute, this anger, this anxiety, this uh, despair, this frustration, this disappointment that is overwhelming me, hold on. Put your hope in God. Praise him because he is your savior that has been raised from the dead. Now let me get at this this way. Uh, 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 imagine two men, same age, same education, same temperament, and uh, you are a business owner and you hire both of them. And uh, you say to them, your job is to take part A and rivet it, and it's a complex job, to part B, and then after the 10 or 15 minutes, then you are to hand it off to the person next to you, next to you on this assembly line. And you tell them that you will do this for seven and a half hours a day, five days a week, and it's something that they can exceed at if they pay careful attention. And by the way, I did this assembly line work once years ago, and it's absolutely brutal because of the repetition, right? It's so difficult, and I lost concentration one day, and I blew up the whole assembly line. That's a little overstatement, but I did get fired immediately. (laughs) 
You give these guys the same breaks, they work in the same environment, but to the one you say, your salary is going to be $42,000 a year. But to the other, you say your salary is going to be $2 million a year. Now a month goes by, and the first guy is overheard saying that this job is killing him because it's so boring, that he just hates his job. But the other guy who is um, receiving $2 million a year uh, can't stop telling everybody how much he loves his job, how happy he is. Now, what's the difference? You have two guys doing exactly the same thing in exactly the same environment, and one hates it and the other loves it. The difference is their expectation about the future. Now, the point isn't that money is the answer to all things because we know it's not, right? Okay, now I want to be sure about this. We know money is not the answer to all things, right? Okay, okay, keep telling yourself that. I have to tell myself that all the time. So we know that. So that's not the point. The the point is that um, what you know about your future or what you believe about your future determines how you experience your present. And hope that Jesus is alive, he's been raised from the dead, and he's now on the other side of sight, gives you this confident expectation so that in the midst of life's deepest waters, most difficult and dangerous moments, you can say with the psalmist, I will put my hope in him, I will praise him because my Savior has been raised from the dead. Amen? That is fundamental to thriving in chaos, in difficulty, in stress. And it's the resurrection. You see, resurrection hope changes everything in life because it gives you a new window to look through on your life. And I got to tell you this before I go on. It works. This resurrection hope, this confidence in God is what got me through the cancer and death of my first wife. It's what got Rhonda through the cancer and death of her first husband. And I want this resurrection hope for you. I want it to fill your heart in life's most difficult hours. But let me go on and let's go to the second question. What's happened to hope today in our culture? And the short answer is, generally speaking, in many quarters in our culture, hope is tanking because hope is increasingly misplaced. So, for example, from 1999 to 2017, the suicide rate in the United States increased by a third while at the same time, in China and India, it decreased. That's pre-COVID. Last year, during COVID, January to September, the number of people in the United States seeking treatment for anxiety and depression increased by 93%. It almost doubled. And the age group that was the hardest hit 
has been the hardest hit are, are the 11 to 17-year-olds. Do you see the irony, the tragic irony? We live in the most affluent culture in the history of civilization, yet we are increasingly becoming the most hopeless. Why? Because we have severed the sacred order from the social order. So when the United States was founded, it was founded on a hope in God. Half of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were seminary trained. But the decades slowly went by and uh, the United States uh, became, as a culture, we became increasingly secular and hope in God, culturally speaking, was generally replaced with a hope in our nation. Our economic power, our military power, our science and technology. And so we come to today. And today we have lost in our culture both hope in God and hope in our country. So we place hope in the only option we have left, and that is in self. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now that's from a poem called Invictus. And when I was a rebellious teenager, when I was in trouble, it was my mom's favorite poem. And she would say to me, Rob, Rob, you are the master of your fate. You're the captain of your soul. Get it together. You can do it. And the problem was, I couldn't. And the problem is, I still can't, nor can any of us. Self cannot bear the weight we place on it. Hear me. Self cannot bear the weight you place on it. So it's not working, generally speaking. It's like we're in a culture where everybody's skating on thin ice and many people are drowning. Or it's like we're running a marathon barefooted in the snow and there's blood everywhere why well if there is no sacred order all you have left is impulses so for example you're a 12 year old and you're struggling with gender identity and all you have left as you make this decision that has lifelong consequences, all you have left are your feelings, your impulses. Because instead of placing our hope in God today, we place it in how we feel our impulses and it will not work individually, and it will not work uh, culturally. And our problem today is misplaced hope. So let me go to the third question. Uh, the, the third question is what specifically 
is resurrection hope. What does it look like? Um, uh, What does it mean? So I want to travel to the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bibles with you, open them up, uh, turn them on. And we're going to go to uh, Acts 26, near the end of the book of Acts. And I want you to know it's 25 years after Jesus has been crucified and raised from the dead. The Apostle Paul is on trial. And this is a big trial. It's a huge trial. And what's at stake is his eventual execution. And Paul knows that. So we're going to pick it up in verse 2 of chapter 26. So follow with me as I read. King Agrippa, Paul says, Paul is speaking. Now Agrippa was the king of the Jews. He was a Jew who was the king of the Jews. I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. So I want you to understand, Paul is a Jew. As a Jew, he is talking to the king of the Jews about the Jews. Now let's bounce down to verse 6. And I want you to notice the repetition of the word hope. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. I'll come back to what this hope is. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me Why should any of you consider it incredible that, I love this, that God raises the dead? What's the big deal? So what is hope here, as Paul repeats the term? Well, well, hope uh, is a synonym for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Better, it's a synonym for the gospel. That Christ died for our sins, he was raised from the dead for our vindication. And the moment we believe, we find forgiveness. We find new life in Christ. We are adopted into God's forever family. But Paul here does something very interesting because he's addressing a Jew. He says this is exactly, now hear this, the crucifixion and resurrection is exactly what the Old Testament from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the Old Testament pointed to, prophesied, predicted. But Paul is just warming up. Let's pick it up in verse 22. And Paul is continuing and he said, but God has helped me this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. And here it is, that the Messiah would suffer, be crucified, and and rise from the dead. And as the first to rise from the dead, he would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And at this point, Festus. Now, Festus is the number one man in Palestine because he is the Roman governor and the Jewish king reports to the Roman governor. And Festus uh, uh, says to the apostle Paul, he shouts, you are out of your mind, Paul. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane. Most excellent Festus, Paul replied, What I'm saying is, now notice, true and reasonable. The king, as a matter of fact, is familiar with these things. And I can speak freely, think boldly to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done 
in a corner. He's talking about Jesus, the entirety of Jesus' ministry. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets and what they said about Jesus? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. This is absolutely incredible. What Paul is doing here. I mean, his life is on the line, right? And what is resurrection hope here? Resurrection hope is fearlessness in the face of death. Do you see that? It's boldness about what you believe. It's standing up for what you believe. It's articulating what you believe. It's confidence that no matter how tight the circumstance, how discouraging the day, how dark the night, that Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, reigns over your life. So your world is never out of control. It's always under his careful control. But what is it that Paul knew about the resurrection that enabled him to be so strong in the face of such a a, a difficult situation. Where does this spiritual fortitude come from? Well, there were a couple things Paul knew about the resurrection that I want you to see because they're right here. So what does he do? He says to King Agrippa, an opponent of the faith. Agrippa, you're familiar with these things that happened, the teaching, the miracles, uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection. It wasn't done in a corner. In other words, Agrippa, you know it happened. This is an exceptional argument from history. If Paul was making this up, the Jewish king, the Roman governor of both opponents would call him on the lie and have him executed. But the Roman governor Festus doesn't say this didn't happen. He says, Paul, you're insane. In other words, he attacks his character. Now, some things never change in politics, right? I mean, this is 2,000 years ago. Don't bother me with the facts, Paul. You're nuts. You're whacked out. And there's a, so uh, the point I'm making is Paul understood it's history, not myth. And there's a second thing I want you to see here. A second thing Paul knew that gave him this boldness, uh, this confidence, uh, this courage, and, and that is the resurrection shatters this notion that miracles cannot happen, that miracles do not exist. Now, I do not know why Agrippa and Festus did not believe in Christ. But I do know you cannot get to the resurrection if you maintain a self-imposed bias, call it a presupposition, a self-imposed bias that miracles do not exist, that God doesn't exist, that there's no way Jesus could be a God 
and that you do not, you simply do not need a Savior. You're too good. Now, never mind that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the best attested fact in history, the entirety of history. My worldview doesn't allow me to believe. And so I want to ask you, why is your worldview more privileged than the early church, than the Apostle Paul? Now, these people may have been pre-scientific, but they weren't gullible. And we tend to put those together, pre-scientific, gullible. No, Romans and Jews had absolutely no categories uh, for someone being raised from the dead in, in the middle of history. No one in the first century world thought that was possible. And we need to be careful of cultural arrogance. These people weren't any more gullible than we are. And often our, our views, our biases, our presuppositions, our plausibility stru structures, sociologists call them, are, are simply a product of the culture we live in, simply a product of the TV shows we walk, simply a product of our friends or our co-workers. And I just want to say, be careful of your biases. Because you have the best attested fact in human history. And Paul stakes his life on the resurrection. And why in the world would he do that if he knew all along it was a lie? Now let me bring uh, this to my final question. And the question is, what is the significance of this? And I want you to, uh, to mention several things. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus guarantees yours. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you know that your life is being carried to a glorious end and there will be a moment when God will intervene and step in and raise you out of this broken world and your sin and your pain and your anguish will be no more. And the one of the wonders of the gospel is that just as Jesus received a new resurrected body following or upon his resurrection, so you and I who believe in Jesus will receive a resurrection body as well. Now say you know a girl when she was eight years old and you knew her rather well and you don't see her again until you bump into her and you discover she's a 37-year-old beauty and you say to yourself, wow, is she different? But as you look closely, you see some similarities from uh, what you remember about her. Uh, after Jesus rose from the dead and he began to appear to the disciples and the crowds and, and different people, Jesus was different. On the one hand, they didn't recognize him, but on the other hand, he was the same. And then he, they did recognize him. And that will be you as a believer in Christ in heaven. We will be radically different. We will be perfect on the inside and perfect on the outside. We will have resurrected uh, bodies but you will, I will know you and you will know me because you will always be you. Now let me go on. There's a second thing that's important here. Jesus' resurrection guarantees your forgiveness. Religion 
says do this and do that or don't do this or don't do that and then maybe you can earn your way to heaven. Maybe you can earn enough points to get there. Sort of like earning points on your credit card. That's how many of us approach the afterlife. Uh, and that's religion. Secularism comes along and says, no, no, uh, no way, because God doesn't exist. And there is no ultimate uh, morality, no ultimate right and wrong. So uh, do what you want to do, uh, because after you die, there is nothing. Now, both of those Religions, and secularism is a religion, both of those religions are a form of bondage. The one is to morality, the other is to self. And Christianity comes along and says, no, Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he went to the cross in the greatest act of love and mercy and compassion and tenderness in human history to die in your place for your sins so that the moment you believe, you might find forgiveness and that mercy. Healing and hope, wholeness, privilege, and peace. And the resurrection is the proof. The resurrection, now, now follow me because this is very theological. The resurrection is like the receipt you get when you leave Costco. So you know that receipt that you hand to that person and, and show them, and what's the purpose of that receipt? The purpose of that receipt at Costco is to show uh, that the million things you bought at Costco have been paid in full. That's the resurrection. The crucifixion is the payment. The resurrection is the receipt. It's the divine receipt written across the sky by God himself saying in the cross, your debt has been paid in full. Now third, and I'll finish with this. The crucifixion and the resurrection taken together offer you and me the pattern for life, the pattern for living, because together they redefine power. It's called the great reversal. Power comes through surrender. I mean, how does Jesus save us? Doesn't he save us through seeming weakness? Uh, doesn't he save us by giving up privilege and power? Comforts and uh, convenience? Doesn't he save us by surrender and sacrifice? And succumbing to apparent defeat? It's the crucifixion. But the resurrection overturns that. The resurrection, in the resurrection, Jesus triumphs over sin, triumphs over death, not in spite of the crucifixion, but precisely because of it. So what does Jesus call us to do as his disciples? Does not Jesus say, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's the great reversal. The crucifixion and resurrection together mean the way up is down. 
The way to have power is to relinquish power. Uh, the way to true riches is to be ge radically generous with the riches God gives you. Uh, the way to experience lasting happiness is not to seek your own happiness, but the happiness of others. It's to surrender. It's to sacrifice. It's to, it's to serve. This is how Jesus saved the world. It's how Jesus changes us. It's how you and I change. The way up is down. Jesus is the hope of the world. He is intellectually credible and existentially satisfying. And I want to invite you to come to him if you've never done so. On this Easter to receive him, to believe in him, to trust him. And if you have already done that, I want to invite you to keep coming to Jesus every day of your life, uh, to crave him, to seek him, as we saw in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, that you might know him and you might see him in his glory and in his beauty. Let's pray. So, Father, we are amazed at what this weekend means for us. For the hope the resurrection offers us. And I want to pray for my friends that are listening, whether they're seven or 70, and pray, Father, that they would see the wonder of a Christ crucified, our payment, and a Christ raised from the dead, our receipt. And that may, might become increasingly life-changing, that we might see that Jesus is inside us, beside us, and for us. Amen. Please stand.
Amen? And before the benediction, just a couple of things uh, real quickly. First, uh, CareFest is coming up on Saturday, May 1st. want to encourage you to go online, wheatonbible.org slash carefest and register. You can pick different sites. want to encourage you to bring family. Uh, those of you uh, parents with kids at home, man, this is a great opportunity for you to do this as a family. I want to encourage you to get together with friends. Even better, get together with your small group. And let's plug in because CareFest is about building bridges of compassion into the communities around us. The second thing I want you to know is starting next Sunday, we're going to do a short two-week series on multi-ethnic ministry, what it means biblically, what it looks like, what it means for us as increasingly around the country. Uh, churches are, are facing this wonder and this beauty of multi-ethnicity in our midst. And then finally, I want to say to you, because we're making progress in our culture against COVID, we're going to take a couple of steps that we're going to implement next Sunday. The first is we're going to move from a three-seat separation to a two-seat separation because our services are filling a week ahead of time. And so we need to allow, uh, that'll give us about 100 more people in here. We're, we're still um, uh, at like 30% of our capacity with that. And then the second thing is that I'm pleased to announce we are going to create a, a, a section where while we want you to wear your mask, everybody to wear masks in and out of the services, you may, will be able to take your mask off during worship. I thought that is how you would respond. Now you're going to need, you'll see as you register, you're, gonna, you're going to need to request uh, that section. And I'm sure uh, that's going to be a delight for you. Now, here's the deal. I expect you to really worship, okay? Okay, if you're going to sit in that maskless section, I want you to put everybody else to shame. I want you to shout out the glory of God. So, Father, we do that right now. It is Easter. We are amazed at the wonder of this love and this hope. I mean, Jesus is inside me. He is beside me. He is for me. We praise you and honor you and exalt you. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a great resurrection day. Thank you.